Good morning to you. It's good to see you. We've been in a, uh, in a, a series the last several weeks uh, called Unexpected Places. Um, we're in the middle of Advent. It's a time of year for the church where we look ahead to Christmas Day and we rejoice and we're excited about the fact that Jesus came. But we're also looking ahead to when he comes again. And, and we fix our eyes on that. And that should create excitement and joy and anticipation in us for that day when things get set right, when that ball gets started rolling down that way. So we're in the middle of Advent. And often when we're looking at the Christmas story, we will look in Matthew or Luke, right, the, to the stories of, of Jesus' birth. Or we may look in Isaiah at the prophecies about that. But we're recognizing that really the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' coming, doesn't just begin in the New Testament and end with a baby in a manger. Right? It's not just there. It's, right, it's actually the whole Bible. The whole Bible tells the story of a Messiah King who is coming to bring hope to a darkened world. That's, that's what we're looking forward to. This story is whispered throughout Scripture. And so we're exploring a few of the unexpected places in Scripture where the gospel is evident to us. Just to recap, back at the last Sunday in November, we started the series. We talked about Genesis, the very beginning, and we saw the battle between good and evil foretold in Genesis. We saw the darkness of Satan for the first time. We saw how his mission is to, is to destroy, is to tempt and we also heard that one day one will come to crush him. Then Deuteronomy, we jumped to Moses, who lived 1,300 years before Jesus was born. And Moses spoke of a prophet like himself who would one day come, who would have this close relationship to God and who would deliver the people from slavery. But unlike Moses, he would do that in a way that nobody was expecting. So the people waited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years until finally he came and they exclaimed, we have found the one Moses has told us about. And then last week, we heard the Christmas story through Paul, through a letter he wrote to the churches in the foothills of Galatia. He had delivered this unexpected news of our adoption into sonship through faith in Jesus Christ. God's enemies could become God's children. Jews, Gentiles, it didn't matter. Jesus would pave the way back to the Father so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could come back to him. And that brings us to today, to our message today. Today we're looking at the glorious appearing of the grace of God. That's what scripture says, the glorious appearing of the grace of God. Now Jesus appeared lots of places. He really did. In his earthly ministry, he appeared to Joseph and Mary. He appeared to the shepherds, the wise men, the disciples, the righteous establishment. He, is, he appeared to crowds of searching and hurting people. And he appeared to a lot of people after his resurrection. And today, he has appeared and is appearing to billions of people, to literally billions of people, people who are lost, jaded, they're disinterested, they're dissatisfied, they're, they're disenfranchised, they, they don't belong anywhere, they are searching and they are aching for fulfillment, for purpose, and for joy. And so that brings us to our scripture today. Let's look at our text, it's Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, 
verse 11. It says this, very simple verse, very deep verse. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This is one of the key points of the book of Titus. And you may remember the books of Timothy where Paul is writing to Timothy and Timothy is a protege, a co-worker of Paul and he's mentoring him to go to the churches in Ephesus and, and restore order there. Well, in the same way, Paul is writing this letter to a co-worker and, and protege named Titus who is being sent to a church in the Mediterranean island of Crete. Okay, he's being sent there to restore sound doctrine. He's being sent there to replace renegade leaders who are leading people astray. And in the process of mentoring Titus, Paul found it absolutely necessary to remind Titus of this fundamental truth we just read. And that is, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. Jesus Christ has appeared. So, before we go on, what is grace? And what does it mean that it appeared? We talk about grace a lot in the church, but what is it? I mean, usually we define it as something like unmerited or undeserved favor. Um, I was just reminded of that song. Who sang that? Uh, when we don't get what we deserve, that's a real good thing. When we get what we don't deserve, that's a real good thing. I can't remember who did that. That's back in the 80s or 90s, a long time ago, before most of you were born. Um, but that's, that's grace, okay? It's this unmerited, undeserved favor. What does it look like in daily life? We as human beings can experience grace in daily life from time to time. Route 30. <laughs> Maybe over here it's 119 or 819 or something, but for me, Route 30, I call upon God more on Route 30 <laughs> than anywhere else I am, including church maybe. But someone cuts you off. Someone's driving like a total jerk. And there's this, you want to be angry. You want to wave with just one finger. You want, you want, to, you want to react in a, in a bad way to that. But instead, you breathe a prayer for that driver. We, we don't know what's going on in his life. We'll pray for him. You have extended grace in that moment. Or maybe you park your shopping cart in an aisle in the grocery store someplace and this woman just lays into you about doing that. And you don't understand where this anger is coming from, but then you notice the three small children with her. One is crying. One is tugging on her pant leg. The other is in the cart throwing groceries on the floor. And you realize that this woman is overwhelmed. And so the anger is replaced by an offer of assistance or just a prayer for her. You have extended grace in that moment. And as we've seen in the news from time to time, that doesn't happen often, but it blows me away when it does. The parents of a slain child will pray for that child's murderer, will be concerned for his soul, his or her soul. Those parents have extended grace in that moment. And of course, the greatest example of grace, of course, that we have is Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus, to earth to die for the sins of all people. And some are going to accept that gift with joy with gratitude, but others are going to ridicule it and, and spit on it and just disregard it and laugh and call it a crutch for the weak or whatever it may be. Yet God's gift of love extends to every one of us, even then. No matter what we have said, no matter what we have done, no matter how we have lived our lives, that is grace 
extended to us. And then this notion of what does it mean that this grace appeared. It doesn't just mean a physical appearance. Like we've said, Jesus appeared to to many people, Joseph, Sheriff, the shepherds, the wise men, to hundreds of thousands of people during Jesus' time on earth. He fed the crowds. But while Jesus doesn't walk with us on earth anymore, the grace of God still appears. The grace of God still appears. It appears every time somebody accepts that gift of salvation. The grace of God appears when we accept it, when we are grateful for it. It appears every time God intervenes in our lives for our good, for what we need at the time. It appears when agonized prayers are answered. The grace of God appears when we receive blessing after blessing when we deserve condemnation and punishment and wrath. The grace of God, Jesus Christ, appears. And what was your reaction when you first heard this verse from Titus 2.11? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Yeah, I know that. I've heard that. I know it. Some of us have had really powerful experiences with grace, but it's left no lasting impression. It's something that has happened and you forget about. Let's be honest with ourselves here. Do we really feel the impact of that verse from Titus? When we read that, does, does our pulse quicken? Do we get excited? Are, are we moved by the fact that even how we are, God has reached out in grace? When we sing that old hymn, Amazing Grace, tired old song, gosh, I don't like that song, whatever, do we have tears in our eyes? because of the truth in the song Amazing Grace who saved a wretch like me. How do we feel when we're reminded that Jesus came to us, that he died for us, that he came to bring salvation to all people, to you and to me? How do we feel? Haven't we become complacent in that? Hasn't it become commonplace just to let those words fall off our lips and have no impact anymore? Has it become, what have you done for me lately, God? Yeah, I know all about your grace, God, but look at the mess my life is right now. Look at what I am right now. Where, what have you done for me lately? How does this truth shape our lives today? And it, even better, does it shape our lives at all? <clears throat> Sometimes this incredible thing called grace is just lost on us. We fall victim to what a, 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 a German theologian and pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he calls cheap grace. We fall victim to cheap grace. This is his description of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That's cheap grace. And we fall victim to it all the time. We fall victim to it in our churches and in our own personal lives. We see cheap grace when we sell salvation as fire insurance. We see cheap grace where we say, yes, accept Jesus Get that eternal life and then go back to living your lives however you want. Whatever you want to do, just make sure you've got fire insurance. Cheap grace. 
worship, however it takes a, a form, whether it's musical or just time on your knees or, or, or worshiping God or just word, words given to him, worship is all about us and what we like. No matter how often we sing, it's all about you, Jesus. Cheap grace makes worship about us. I don't like that song. I don't like that style of music. It's too loud. It's too soft. It goes too long. It's not long enough. Whatever it may be, it's about us. It's not about Jesus. Cheap grace. We see it in the comfortable Jesus that we've created for ourselves. We see it in a Jesus who allows for acceptable sins. Well, it's not as bad as what he's doing. I'm a better person than that. We have created for ourselves sins that are okay or that you can shrug off. I didn't read my Bible this, the, today, but I'll get it tomorrow. Not a big deal. And I saw that person hurting and I was, it was, I was in too big of a hurry to do anything. I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll do it next time. We create acceptable sins and we create a Jesus who overlooks our disobedience with a chuckle and a shrug. That's cheap grace. We see cheap grace when we substitute the fear of the world for the fear of the Lord. When we substitute the fear of the world for the fear of the Lord, cheap grace. When we care more what the world says, when we care more about how we look to the world, when we care more about not offending anybody in the world, we have put the fear of the world above the fear of the Lord, and that is cheap grace. Here's the fact. A man named Robbie Castleman said this, Salvation is a free gift of God's grace earned by the work of Jesus Christ alone, and this free gift will cost you everything. This free gift will cost you everything. Churches put worship services together that are more like just good Christian meetings than worship services. I, folks, I'm preaching to you what God is preaching to me, okay? I'm convicted by this. I want to convict you. I'm sorry. I do. <laughs> Forgive me. I want to convict you. We put together services where we make sure that the, the music relates to the message and we hope that nobody leaves upset or offended, or convicted. Gosh, we're sorry. Thanks for coming, though. Come back next week. Bring a friend. We promise you'll be comforted, not confronted. We're just deathly afraid of that. I confess to falling into that myself. I don't want to offend anybody, but the fact is, here's the fact. Here's the fact. Down through the ages, from the time of the Garden of Eden through Israelite history through the time of Jesus in the early church and right up to today, right now, there's not a single man or woman who's ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus Christ who was not steeped in sin. There has not been a single man or woman other than Jesus who was without sin. We see the evidence of the sin all around us. We see the evidence of the sin in us. And while the grace of God has appeared, we only intellectually agree with that. Yeah, the grace of God has appeared. I'm all right with that. We accept it, but without any desire or any intent to change our lives because of it. Folks, do you relate? Do you relate? I hope it's not just me. We're all sinners. 
That's a biblical fact. We are born in sin. We are hopelessly in our sin. In and of ourselves, we have no hope. Many of us have put our faith in Jesus, but we're living under cheap grace. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, this doesn't apply to me, this isn't my situation, then then you're ignorant of the situation. Then you're not being realistic about the situation. We are, in and of ourselves, absolutely without hope, without recourse, without any means of redemption. We are desperately in the need of the grace of God. So when we hear the grace of God has appeared, is that not exciting? Is that not something to be awestruck and thankful for? Shouldn't it move us? Shouldn't it just move us? So let's read our passage again. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Do you see it? We have been offered redemption. Oh my gosh. We have been offered redemption for lives steeped in sin, covered in sin. The joy of the Advent season, folks, is that Jesus came in grace. He came in grace. Given all that we as human beings have done, have thought, the way that we have behaved, our sinful natures themselves, given how we have cheapened the grace of God, should we not more reasonably expect Jesus to have come in wrath? In redemption, I mean, in, in retribution, in, in punishment, in anger for a faithless and disobedient people. But yet, he came in grace. Do we deserve it? No. We absolutely do not deserve the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that's why grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. No, we don't deserve it. But here is my point today. Here is my point. The grace of God, Jesus Christ, has come to us in grace. He has come in grace. In spite of us, God loves us dearly. He loves us more than we could possibly imagine. While we are utterly without merit or or any credit for any righteousness whatsoever, God has come in love. In grace, in forgiveness, redemption, salvation. This is amazing. This is amazing. I mean, take it in, people. We got what we don't deserve. And that's a real good thing. That's a real good thing. But it even goes deeper than that. If we continue our scripture today, a few more verses. Let's expand it a bit. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And here's Advent right here. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Amazing. It does all of that for us if we don't cheapen it, if we don't overlook it. We are utterly sinful, utterly sinful, but God's grace teaches us to say no to our sinfulness. 
We are incapable of pleasing God, and yet God's grace enables us to live upright and godly lives. We have no hope of redemption, but God's grace redeems us from all wickedness and purifies us. So while God has every reason to punish us in hell, in eternal separation from Him, instead, He loves us so much that He sent His Son to rescue us from our pathetic and hopeless condition. Now, I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm not trying to depress you. I am trying to convict you. I am trying to awaken you maybe to some things in your life that you're overlooking or just don't want to look at. But we have to look at them. I have to look at them in my life. We don't deserve anything that God has given us in Jesus Christ, but we rejoice this Advent season that God has given us everything we do not deserve. He has given us everything love and grace and forgiveness and a path back to Him. Hallelujah. Rejoice. Rejoice this Advent season. Rejoice that God has come in grace. Jesus Christ has appeared to us and it offers salvation to us all. Hallelujah. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Well, if you've never accepted the gift, of God's grace in Jesus Christ, if you've never put your faith in Jesus and become God's child, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Your response to this is to accept it. God is standing there saying, here, come back to me. Be my child. I have paid for your sin. Accept my gift. I don't know if we're looking for proof or we're looking for lightning bolt from heaven. People can tell you how real it is. I can tell you it is real. God changed my life. God saved me from who I was and made me his child. And I didn't deserve it at all. It's not because of what I did. It's because of who I believed. So if you haven't accepted the gift, that's what you have to do now. Accept it. And if you do, after service, I'd be happy to pray for you. I'd be happy to talk to you. I'd happy be happy to rejoice with you for making that step. But if you've already accepted this gift, then what it means to us is that we examine ourselves. What it means to us is we look at ourselves. Has your faith taught you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions? Has it? Now be careful here, because when you examine yourself, look for idols. Look for idols. We talked about idols a few months back. I don't know if you remember. We talked about how that's anything that steals your affection and your attention from God. There's a bunch of those. When your kids have sports on Sunday morning and you can't make worship, and, and that's what, where you, the choice you make, you have created an idol. When your work takes your time away from God and your family, you've created an idol. Maybe it's something that you can fix. When anything, the busyness of life, whatever it might be, the things in life that have taken your time, you have chosen to give those things your time and you have made them an idol. Just ask yourself, how have I cheapened the grace of God? Have I created acceptable sin? Have I let myself off the hook? Have I lived my life the way I want to? while gathering fire insurance through my faith? 
What is your motivation? What is your heart condition as a child of God? Examine yourself. Has your faith enabled you to live self-controlled and godly lives? Or have you cheapened God's grace to make it more comfortable, to make it less convicting and less demanding of change in your life? Have you cheapened grace so it's more easy to overlook when you want to, to overlook things? Understand that today, right now, God is ready to work in you and in me to change our lives into one that testifies to his glory. That's what he wants to do in us. So rejoice. Rejoice. You can examine yourselves, but we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay in this place of cheap grace. We don't have to stay in this place of not knowing God. It is all right here in front of us. The grace of God has appeared And it brings salvation to all people. It brings renewed passion to all people. It brings recommitment to all people. So rejoice. The whispers of Christmas can still be heard. Above all the noise, all the flaws, all the brokenness of humanity, Jesus Christ has come. (laughs) And through faith in Him, through faith in Him, we are forgiven. We're made new. We're adopted as children of the Most High God. We cannot and we must not become complacent and unimpressed by this. It cannot become commonplace to us. It cannot. It is why we live lives to glorify God. We were powerless and we were rescued. We were lost And we've been found. We were broken and we've been restored. We're without hope and we now know Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. So let us rejoice at the birth of our Savior and let us look ahead with anticipation of His coming again. This is Advent. This is what we celebrate. This is why we're here. This is why there is joy in the face of all circumstances. This is why living a life that brings glory to God fulfills and gives us purpose and joy so much when we do it right. So let's do it right. Let's be obedient to God and let's worship God. Let's worship Him with all that we are. Let us spend some time in quiet worship and awe of what He has done for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.